This is Laura London, and you're listening to Speaking of Jung. My guest today is Jungian psychotherapist Maria Helena Mandacaru Guerra. She is the author of The Love Drama of C.G. Jung, as revealed in his life and in his Red Book, published in English by Inner City Books in 2014. Guerra graduated from Pontifical Catholic University of Sao Paulo in 1980 with a specialization in Jungian psychotherapy. And in 1988, she earned a master's degree in clinical psychology from the Institute of Psychology at the University of Sao Paulo. Since 1982, she has been a teacher of analytical psychology at the Sede Sepiense Institute, where she is also the editor of Jung e Corpo, an annual publication of the specialization course Jung and Body. She has also lectured at every Latin American Jungian Congress since 1998. Along with her husband, psychiatrist and Jungian analyst Carlos Byington, she participated in the film review series Café Filosofico, produced by TV Cultura. Today, they both continue to facilitate film discussion with Cine Sede's Junge Corpo through the Sede Sapiense Institute. This interview, between Chicago and Sao Paulo, was recorded on September 25th, 2016, through the magic of Skype. Thank you so much for joining us today, all the way from Brazil. I wanted to speak with you about your book, The Love Drama of C.G. Jung, as revealed in his life and in his Red Book, because when I went to visit Inner City Books last year, Daryl Sharp put this book in my hand and he said, you have to talk to Maria. This is a wonderful book. She's discovered something that that nobody else has. And I tried to find you and I had a really hard time finding you. And I wrote to you about a year ago and I actually mentioned it at the end of the first episode of this podcast. I said that, you know, I had reached out to you and then it took about a year before (laughs) we actually connected. Yeah. On Facebook. And thank you so much for writing back to me because what it's done is it had me pick up your book at at a very interesting time in my life where this book is really resonating with me um, for a number of, of different reasons. And one of the things that your book has done for me is it's put the red book in a whole new light. Oh, thank you, Lara, for your invitation and for your patience with me. I was disappeared for the last year. Uh, actually, I didn't see your message. And one or ten d- days ago, I was looking at the, all the messages and then I saw yours. <laughs> uh, well, I was reading the Red Book, and I, at the time, I was in my PhD, and I had to read it because I thought that I would work with it in my thesis. And it's a not easy book to read because Jung uh, wrote about his dreams and visions and imagination, and we had no uh, connection between all those things. And I was reading and reading, and I read uh, a special part of it that was uh, a vision of Jung when he saw a hanged man. 
This man told Jung that he was hanged because he had poisoned his parents and wife. And he continued, he had done it to honor God. And he loved his family and wanted them to be transported more quickly uh, into eternal bliss. And so at this point, I asked myself, why? <laughs> why did this man kill his parents and his wife? To kill the parents uh, in psychoanalysis, for instance, we can understand as a way to de develop our personality and to be uh, apart from the parents, from our education and so. But why did he kill his wife? At that point, uh, I have a, a desire to know what was Jung living at this point of his life. What was happening with him? And so I went to, I started to research, and I found in Derdy books, Derdy Bear books, uh, Junger biography. Yes, Deidre Bear's biography on yes. Jung. Okay. Yes, that this vision uh, coincided with the first year, that is the beginning, of Jung's relationship with Tony, with Tony Wolf. So, <laughs> something clicked inside me, and I started to read about uh, Jung and his life at this moment. And that was, that was uh, as all things started. <laughs> so you put the connection together. You read about Jung's vision of the hanged man. Yes. And it didn't make any sense to you. And you wanted to know why the hanged man killed his wife. In, this is Jung's vision yes, that he wrote about in the Red Book. Okay, so let's back up a little bit and just briefly tell people, in case they're not familiar with the Red Book, what it is. Well, the Red Book uh, is a book where Jung wrote his dreams, his fantasies, his active imagination, and he worked in it during 16 years. Uh, Jung wrote about it in his uh, Memories, Dreams, Reflections, and uh, the Jungian uh, psychologist and psychiatric uh, knows this book. Jung told about it many times, but it was not launched yet. Right. We have no uh, access to it. So it was, uh, it is a huge book, beautiful book with many illuminations and pictures. And it was in a bank during the last maybe 15, 50 years. Yes, in a bank vault. The family a, kept it secured in, in Zurich in a bank. Yes. So uh, everybody would like to, to know this book, but it was impossible until uh, Shamdazani bring it to, to us. And so we were uh, waiting for this material. Uh, everybody was very curious about it. And 
So that's a very important book, especially because Jung always said that what happened to him at this time of his life gave him the material to work during all his life. So it was a very creative moment for Jung. Yes, and and the Shamdasani that you refer to is the historian Sanu Shamdasani, who's actually the editor of the Red Book. And in the foreword to your book, your husband, the psychiatrist and Jungian analyst, Carlos Byington, mentions the lecture that Shamdasani gave when the Red Book was launched in 2009. I thought this was really interesting. He said that in front of hundreds of white-haired analysts, Shamdasani declared with great assurance that all of us should begin to read Jung's work anew, because arising from the Red Book, a new Jung would emerge. Mm-hmm. So yes. how did things change after the release of the Red Book? And and as you had mentioned, um, Jung does refer to the Red Book in his autobiography and also In Jaffe's book, Word and Image, there are photographs of the actual Red Book and some of the paintings that are in there. And so I wasn't, I don't know, I just, I wasn't surprised when the Red Book came out, like most people were, because I had had some notion of what it was about. And I have to say, because I have such a strongly developed sensation function, I was really caught up in the calligraphy and the paintings and, of course, the size of the book. And for those people that don't have it, um, it's it's an enormous book, and it's it's a replica, basically, of the original. But so I just yeah. want to continue giving a little bit of background of what this red book is. That Jung first, in 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 the one of the reasons why I love your book, Maria, is because you're very exact about just how it was formed and how it was written, and you reference everything and you include the years, and so you really lay it out um, to to give one the sense of the progression of it and. Jung first started writing in these black books. And then what's interesting about it is that he took, maybe you can explain this better than I can, I'm sure you can. He took what he wrote, some of what he wrote in the black books. And then you use the word transcribe. He transcribed it into this red book, which was kind of like how you can go to a bookstore now and buy these beautiful books with blank pages. They're journals, basically, right? Yeah. Let me just give a a little bit of a visual here. Jung had a a red leather bound book with this exquisite paper, this vellum paper. So then he took his little black books and transcribed his diaries in calligraphy in this Gothic script with his own hand things that he had written. And then now did he paint directly into the red book? Or were those paintings taken from the black books? Uh, I don't know if he take from the black books, but he did some uh, draft before he did the red book. Uh, And you are right, he 
uh, at first he wrote in the black books that were uh, their, uh, his diary. Right. It was as someone can write the, down the dreams and fantasies and so. Mm. But Jung was ambiguous about the red book because when we see the book, so beautiful, so huge, so uh, with some dedication, yes, <laughs> that Jung spent so many years writing and painting in it, uh, we see that. Jung would like to publish it. Mm -hmm. He would like people to see it. Uh, he says something like, my people, you now can see, can hear. So it, uh, Jung's language is something uh, almost a mythic one. He knew he was doing something very extraordinary with the Red Book. Yes. And At the same time, he didn't want to publish it. Mm -hmm. uh, he wanted, but did not want. Uh, he was very, very ambiguous. But he mentioned it many times. And in all, he, all no, but in many works of him, uh, we can see the fantasies, the dreams, the mandalas. We didn't know they were from the Red Bull. Mm -hmm. But we know this material in very in different places. No? Okay, Jung yeah. published without saying that it was his material. Uh, he said, for instance, a man 36 years old, a man at the, at the middle of life. But he didn't said he didn't say that was my mandala, my dream. You know? Okay. So the impression that we're given uh, with the release of the Red Book is that it's all about his rupture with Freud, his, his ending his relationship with Sigmund Freud. Also that it's about the premonition that he had about World War I. Those were the things that I thought really kind of seeded the Red Book. But you have a different take. You say it was something else entirely. And that's what interested me and why I'm now seeing the Red Book in a completely new way. So what did yeah. you see that was different? Uh, first of all, we say, and it's true, that Jung worked in the Red Book for 16 years. That's true. He had a huge work there. But if we, we read it uh, in more detailed way, we can see that the contents of the Red Book uh, with Jung did with his calligraphic uh, writing yes. were from October 1913 until February 1914. So the content of the Red Book is about four, four and a half months, only this. So Jung was so impressed by something that occurs to him during this space of time, during, three, during four, four and a half months. Mm -hmm. uh, as Shandazani continued to uh, copy the black books, we 
go a little more ahead and we say that what is in the Red Book now is what Jung lived between October 1913 until August 1940. So it's not that that long time. It was not so uh, a long time. And if we read the book, we see that he all the time Jung is talking with his soul, with his anima. He started with Salome. It's a woman, uh, a vision, but right. a woman. He is talking with his anima. The Red Book is a book uh, about the development of the anima, of his capacity to love, to develop his evils, uh, the capacity to, to be in touch with this part of him. And it, in my point of view, it could not be uh, developed by his relationship with Freud or his intuition about the First World War. Right. It, it was moved by love. Yes. And uh, I, uh, I'm sure I can say that Tony Wolf uh, was the, the start of all this, you know? What he felt by uh, with her, what he the feeling of the love Jung had for her, what happened between them, make the red book in in movement. Let's say so. Okay, I just want to go back a little bit to something you mentioned about Sham Dasani pulling from the black books. So, would you explain a little bit what you mean by that? Because Jung finish the red book uh, in the middle of a sentence. Yeah. <laughs> he just stopped. Well, finish here. And Shandazani uh, keeps going on and took the diaries and copied there in the red book what Jung did not did, did not copy. He, he finished it. He finished. Yes, he finished. Yes. So we have now more material than Jung left. Jung wrote until some point, and Shandazani continued it. Okay, so here's my question, is why was originally the Red Book looked at as Jung's psychotic break, his midlife crisis, um, you know, his losing his mind, um, now, the vision that he had before the outbreak of World War I was of seeing a map covered in blood, a map of Europe. And I think yeah. that it's obvious to us that he was tapping into the collective unconscious, but outsiders and maybe even some insiders see that as some sort of, you know, psychosis. And I just don't get it. I mean, as a Jungian and what I've learned from being a Jungian is to not frame things that way, to not see things as, as pathological or, you know, psychotic. And so it always kind of surprises me when I hear somebody frame it that way. Yeah. Why do you think that the Red Book was not seen for what now I see it as, what you've pointed out, 
about the struggle that Jung went through with developing his feeling function? Well, this vision about the blood Europe, he had actually uh, when he was going to Schaffhausen to bring Emma and his children back home. Uh, at that time, in October 1913, Emma was pregnant. Uh, she was pregnant for, uh, for the fifth time. Mm-hmm. It would be the fifth child. So we can imagine the kind of conflict that Jung were living. He was in love with a woman, and he had another woman, he married Emma, with five children, and his position, his uh, international career, well, Emma also was a very important person, uh, the second fortune in Zurich, in Switzerland. The second largest fortune. fortune. So her family, her parents, were the second richest family in Switzerland, and Jung married into that. Yes, and Jung was a poor man in the sense of (laughs) money. (laughs) Yes, when he married Emma, he was poor, right. And so he said in uh, 1950, uh, yes, seminar in analytical psychology, Esther Harding, a Jungian, uh, asked her, asked him, uh, what was the personal meaning of this vision? And he told that he could be understood as Switzerland and the mountains around it as his relationships. We can understand that it should be terrible for him because he didn't want just to have a lover. He wanted to live with her and with his family. Okay, let's back up a little bit and talk about, just tell us a little bit about how Tony Wolf actually entered the picture. Because we're sort of picking up with he's already in love with her. And I think it's important as to, you know, how did that happen? How did... Jung, you know, he meets Emma, she's rich, he's poor, he decides to marry her. I believe from everything I've read that he did love her. They ultimately wound up having five children together. Um, They remained married for many, many years up until Emma's death. Um, But how did Tony Wolf enter the picture? Listen, I... I don't believe that Jung didn't love Emma. Sure. I think that it was a different kind of love. Yeah. And with Tony, as with Sabina, he had some more intense, some uh, kind of a passion. Uh, if we read the Karotenutu book about uh, secret symmetry, we see that there are some letters from Jung to Sabina, and he says there that he is very passionate. He cannot live without a love, a love that moves him, that makes him feel alive. So I think that Tony 
did this role in his life. Tony was his patient uh, around 1910, and he came to him to him because his fa her father died and yeah. she was depressed. But Tony was very uh, cold. He studied uh, religion, mythology, philosophy. So she could talk with Jung uh, as an equal yes. at the time. And she, I think it was very interesting for him to have a woman who could talk with him and discuss the, the matters with him. Mm -hmm. So he married Emma in, I think it was 1903? Yes. And then he met Tony Wolf in 1910, but as a patient? Yes. And they uh, included it in a red book. Uh, Jung had a dream. It's a famous dream. He published it also. Uh, that in some point there is a dove and this or a white bird that changes in transforms in a girl. And he said that after this dream he decided to uh, assume I don't know the word he decided to mm -hmm. enter in relationship with Tony in, after this dream. At that point, Tony was no longer his patient? No, no, no. She was no longer his patient. I mm -hmm. think they were apart around six months apart. Okay. And after this dream, it was in December 1912. And he decided to enter in this relationship. So uh, there is a point that I think it's important also. Because the Red Book, this beautiful, incredible book, can be seen as uh, a mythological, to a point of view, uh, as an alchemical or religion, artistic book. There is many. There, there are many point of views that we can approach the Red Book. But we need to know the personal life of Jung if we want to interpret the book according to his individuation process, you know? Uh, when someone comes to our practice, we need to know who is that person. Mm -hmm. uh, what's his or her life, uh, the dreams, the... What's happened? He's married, not married, is your, uh, has children, no, it's work, is happy or not happy. Uh, we need to know who is the person uh, that's dreaming or that's bringing to us uh, his, her fantasies, her imagination. Otherwise, we can talk about those symbols, but in a theoretical form in an abstract form, not connect with someone's life. Yes? Yes. So uh, the Red Book was so difficult to understand because we had no uh, the connection with the personal life of Jung. Mm -hmm. And you're saying that you do go into it in the book about Jung's 
private life with Emma and what their marital relationship is. And you even quote a letter between Emma Jung and Sigmund Freud, where Emma tells Freud that she's having difficulty in her marriage. And I don't think that that's very well known. But these things are important. And one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you and have you speak to the listeners of this podcast is because I do encounter a lot of judgmental comments from people about Jung, um, about his personal life. Mm -hmm. And I don't know the culture where you are, but here in the United States, it's still pretty puritanical. And I've encountered people bad-mouthing Jung because he had, quote-unquote, extramarital affairs. And my attitude about it has always been, well, he was doing research. That's the way I see it. It's never bothered me. I'd like for you to explain or to tell us how you frame it with people, because Tony Wolf was not the first love relationship that Jung had outside of his marriage. But from what I understand, Emma was aware of what was going on and she understood what he was doing. He was a psychologist. He was doing research. He was exploring the human psyche, the human soul through, you know, exploring his and experiencing his. And you have some lovely comments in your book about how he lived what he wrote and he wrote what he lived. So how would you, just for those people that are listening, how would you characterize, I don't know, kind of the ethical component of, of this? And, and then you do tie it into the struggles that he outlines in the Red Book. Well, what I think it's very important, Laura, is that Jung suffered too much. Yeah. Uh, he was not uh, inconsequent. He was not, um, well, I'll do it and so, and if Emma like it or if she doesn't like it, for me it's the same. He was not like this. Mm-hmm. He was really in a dramatic situation. He suffered a lot. He struggled inside him. And I think that it was not that he was just doing a research. He was living. It was a very, very strong love. Uh, It's a kind of uh, a call. Something that it was... Uh, stronger than him. Yes. And he had no, he has no choice because uh, he wrote about individuation and he tried to live according to it. When he spoke with his soul, he listened to his soul and sometimes he didn't want to do the things the soul asked him to do, but he had to. It was uh, greater than him. It was greater than him. So what would you say to people who would respond to that by saying, well, of course he had a choice. 
and he gave into it. Yes, the we, choice. Yeah, the the choice would be uh, to put the ego in a important place, the more important place than the self. I think that what he did was to hurt uh, his self, his innermost uh, soul, his being. And I think that Emma and Tony also suffered a lot, both of them, not only Emma. Emma had uh, the children, was, as to say, the official. Tony didn't have children. Mm -hmm. he, uh, she was alone. And I think that all those persons, the three, uh, suffered a lot. But I think that Emma and Tony, first of all, they agreed with the situation. They uh, loved Jung. She, uh, he should be a very interesting person. But uh, I think that the point that Emma and Tony were a psychologist or an, uh, were studying analytical psychology with Jung, were discovering the things together with him, made them uh, agree with the situation because they also believed in individuation. I think they would not like to say, no, I believe in individuation, but I don't want you to live your life as your soul asks you. Mm -hmm. you know? So I think, and uh, I wrote a chapter for a book where I discuss the relationship between Emma and Tony. And I think that for them, uh, the theory helped to live his, uh, their lives. The, the theory supported them. For instance, there is an image in the Red Book. Uh, it's, uh, let me try to describe it. It's a huge woman in white. She is veiled. It's something in her head. And there are many, many small people around her, and mm -hmm. she is a huge figure. This image, Jung, uh, sorry, Emma worked with it in his book Animals and Anima. Mm -hmm. And she worked with it without saying that it was Jung's image. And she said, a man when, more or less like this, no, it's not <laughs> literal, but when a man uh, is in touch with his anima, he had no choice. He has to follow the anima. So it is a kind of uh, self-convincement, self, uh, <laughs> I don't know the word, but uh, it's a kind of thought that makes her agree that Jung follow his anima. And if his anima is Tony, well. <laughs> so what would you say then if men read this and say, well, I need to go out there and find my anima and, you know, have a relationship with her. That's yeah. not exactly what's being suggested here, is it? No, the point is that, first of all, it was true. 
<laughs> it was not just I, I will find one and another and another. It was not like this. Mm-hmm. And second, Jung told about it. He told, talked uh, about it. He talked about it with uh, Emma. He opened this relationship to the public. The people knew about it. Don't right. Every Jungian at that time uh, knew about it. And an important thing, uh, he suffered. Yes. He struggled with it. It was not a superficial relationship. Right. That's the point. Mm-hmm. It was not, and uh, now I'll, uh, I'll have a lover also because if you had one, I can head out. It was not like this. It was very, very deep. It yes. was a, a dramatic situation. And that is what I used to say to people. It was not superficial. It's uh, something that was vital. It was very a fulcrum of their lives. Yes, and, and you do make a point in the book of quoting Jung, talking about you know the difference between love and pleasure. Because, Laura, at that time, we are talking about a hundred years ago. Right. If today it's something so new, you can imagine at that time it was completely new, especially because uh, at that time marriages are, uh, the people were to be married for all life. Yes. We can, people could not... Uh, divorce could not be apart. So the structure at that time was so rigid that men had to work and bring money to home, and the uh, w- women must take care of the children of the husband of the house. That were the the most marriage at the time. They function like this, and uh, Jung. Changed it completely. You changed it completely? Yeah, in his process. Because I think that when the process is, process started, he also were like the most men at that time. The, they usually, well, of course, it's not 100%, of mm-hmm. course, but some of them had the wife at home. Uh, as to say, a good wife, a serious wife, and had a lover where he could live his sexual life, his fantasies, and he could be uh, more free than with their women, their wives. Their wife, right. So uh, I think that Jung was like this. And to change, uh, in Red Book, there is Salome, Salome is a woman that at first she is blind. Yes. And at the end of the process, she can see again. Uh, it was like the Jung's anima that was blind to love. He could be in touch with women, maybe uh, in sexual attraction or, I don't know, just something more superficial. But with the red book, he uh, went away to develop his capacity to love. 
Did he know that, for instance, when he met Emma, married Emma, began having children with her, did he know that something was missing, that he hadn't developed his feeling function, or you equate love and God a lot throughout the book. Had he not made that connection until he met Tony Wolf? I think that he made this connection with Sabina. Okay. But Sabina uh, did not agree with the situation. He uh, wanted him to leave Emma and to live with her, not live together with Emma. But Tony uh, accepted it. What, so you're saying Sabina wanted Jung all to herself, but on the other hand, Tony accepted that Jung wanted to stay with Emma, and Tony accepted sharing Jung with Emma. Yes, is that yes, true? yes. I don't know if uh, Sabina would like to have him for her. <laughs> But she would not, she didn't want to be together with Emma. She had no, this kind of personality. She could not do it. She couldn't do it. But what, what, because I know you did a lot of research on the relationship between Emma Jung and Tony Wolf. So why do you think Tony was willing to be part of, sort of part of the family. I mean, Jung actually even referred to Tony as his second wife. So what was it about Tony that accepted that Jung wanted to stay married to Emma? I have no idea what happened inside her. Mm-hmm. But what I think is that uh, she uh, had a relationship with Jung and she assumes it and she it's okay, I'm with him, and I'm with him. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think, but that's my fantasy. I had no mm-hmm. uh, no fundament in text or something like this. You know? But it would be nice the when Tony's Wolf Diaries uh, been published. They, are, they will be published. Oh, okay. So I'm waiting. That's to... in the works then? I didn't know about that. Yes, it's in work. I think that it's uh, Shamdazani that's working in it, and it will be published. I don't know when, but it will. So we will know better what's happening inside Tony, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's get back to Jung and the Red Book. Um, you say that Jung could not resist his internal calling, because he felt that within each of us is the call for self-realization, the way, the truth, and the life. So how does the active imagination, the dreams, the visions in the Red Book, how did that uh, outline sort of Jung's concept of individuation? I think that in the Red Book, we can see all the te- Jung's theory in, uh, at the start, at the beginning. Yeah. We can see the development of shadow of the psychological types of self, of individuation, of the anima, of so many things are there. The transcendent function. And if we read it, we see that many times 
uh, there are a conflict. It starts with the spirit of the time and the spirit of the depth. For one is the soul, is his inner soul. Mm -hmm. The other is the status quo, the way that life was lived, not for him, but for for people at the time. The status quo, marriage, children. Yes, yes. You point out the uh, the bourgeois, puritanical, yeah. Zurich exactly. society. Yeah, he was exactly. torn. Yes, he was torn between those, including, we can say about the images, the, the pictures that Jung uh, did in the Red Book. There is one of them that... Uh, What's the name of it? It's the Amor. It's in in, in Latin. Amor Triumphat, I yes. think. You know, I just want to say as an aside, uh, when I visited the psychology club in Zurich last November, in the library, there is, I don't know if you've been there, There, there's a glass case with the red book inside the special edition of the red book and it's open to that page ah so do amor triunfa yes <laughs> and it's incredible because uh, it was a younger dream that he painted and it's uh, the suffering and the sacrifice mm -hmm. to love and so there is an animal a vegetable or a tree uh, animal and a man with uh, uh, a wheel in his chest, pressing, mm. yeah, pressing him and thorns <laughs> under him, and then an image that was like Christ crucified. Yes, uh, all the time in the book we see that the Jung was uh, working inside him with love. That was the point. If, including, uh, he wrote something like, uh, "Red is the color of heroes." Red is the color of the book. Right. <laughs> the book could have could have any color, but he chose red. That the color of heroes, the color of love, the color of a relationship. For those of you who don't have a copy of the Red Book, I'll put a picture of that page on the website on Maria's uh, podcast page. And also, uh, Philemon, that was so important that the foundation is Philemon, that foundation that published the Red Book is Philemon Foundation. Philemon was a lover. Philemon was a lover. Uh, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Uh, the myth of Philemon. Yes. Uh, he was married with Baucis mm -hmm. and Zeus and I think uh, Hermes came down to, from the, the, the heaven and went to this small place where they lived, at the small city, and asked beggar, asking for food and something to drink. And Philemon and his wife were very, very, very poor, but they accept the gods inside them house and give them what they almost they don't have. And at that time, 
they revealed themselves as gods and said to them that they could ask something, some boon, and they asked for a shrine to cultivate those gods, but also that they died together. Yes, that they died they, at the same time, right. At the same time. They didn't want to be apart. So it's a great expression of love. And Philemon, if you read in the Red Book, he says, he talks about love. So when you ask me, how can we say that uh, the individuation process, Jung's individuation process mm -hmm. in the book, it's all the time, all the time you can see it. He is every time uh, talking with, within himself. Uh, there are many images, many people that came to him and always this struggle between the spirit of the time, the spirit of the depth, and the soul, and the soul is the love. The soul is love. Yeah, the soul points to love. You know? Uh, it's interesting that the last words in the Red Book wrote by Jung when the point that he was at this picture, <laughs> he was at the Amor Triumphat as crucified, and then a bird goes to heaven, flies to heaven, and, and finish the book. And we say, thanks to Shamdazani, that the bird brings a, a ring where it wrote something like, love is forever. That was the interesting point that Jung didn't wrote it. He finished the book before this. He did not uh, wrote uh, with calligraphic. Yes. Why do you, you know? think that is? He, Jung didn't actually write that in the Red Book. Shamdasani pulled it out of the Black Book. So yeah. what do you think of that? Synchronicity. At that time, he uh, started to work with alchemy. And Tony didn't want because it because right. she thought it could be a little bit exoteric. And they, they became a little bit apart at this time. And he interrupted the Red Book at the time. Synchronicity, I'm not telling that it was because he uh, started uh, he was a part, they became a part that he stopped the Red Book. But it happened. I, I highly encourage people to pick up a copy of this book because it is so unique. And it's so interesting in that, you know, there's so much curiosity about the Red Book. And you do a fantastic job of referencing everything. All of the quotes from the Red Book have footnotes and they're not one of the things I love about it is they're 345 footnotes but instead of doing it by chapter which would always make me have to flip back and forth and figure out okay which chapter am I looking for it's just sequential all the way through 
you know, it's, it's not a long book. It's about a hundred pages. You have a glossary in the back, and this is actually translated from your original language, Portuguese. Yes. It's a beautiful, beautiful take on what the Red Book is about. Very different from anything that I had ever come across about the Red Book. In the final considerations, you mention Jung's uh, typological enantiodromia, um, where the development of, like I had mentioned, his feeling function rather than his thinking function, and that Jung refers to the development of eros and logos, the polarity between the two, and eros is the principle of relatedness and logos logic, and that he reveals that that the search for the development of the capacity to love is a central point in his individuation process. So would you say that that's ne not necessarily the case with everybody, but it was with him, and this is pretty much his story? Or is it everybody's story? No, well, I think that it's his, his story. Individuation is something very particular, very mm -hmm. unique. But uh, I think that it can be applied for many people <laughs> because love is something so central in our lives, yeah. so important that many people, when read uh, my book and read it, the red book, uh, identify themselves with it uh, because love is, for, well, <laughs> uh, for me, love is the more important function in life. Yes. When uh, I wrote my master dissertation, it was about love. And when I started to do my PhD, I would like to, to write about love, about Krishna, that is the god of love. Yes. And I, <laughs> I finished <laughs> writing about uh, the love drama of Jung. So I'm always concerned with love. For me, it's a very important God. <laughs> yes, and, and you point out here that in an interview with Miguel Serrano uh, in 1959, about two years before Jung's death, Jung said that nothing was possible without love because only the person in love puts the entire personality in play and even risks life. Now, and if you see, uh, I finished the book with another... Uh, citation from Jung yes. from the memories uh, and dreams reflection it was about love also yes the mystery of love yeah. yeah Jung says that in his medical experience as well as in his own life he says I have again and again been faced with the mystery of love and have never been able to explain what it is one thing that I that is very interesting that so many people read the Red Book and so many men yeah. and no one think that it could be a love drama. Right. Uh, I fantasy that if Tony had wrote the Red Book, huh. it would be uh, so obvious right. that she was in love <laughs> with Jung. Yes. <laughs> And it should be <laughs> because of Jung. But a man, a scholar, rational, he could not be so 
so romantic. Yes. <laughs> he could be so touched by love as did he. Uh, so I think that it was a kind of escotoma, I don't know if it's a kind of uh, blindness that people could not admit that a man could have so intense love, could love in such a way that uh, he felt soft that he would be mad. He, was, he thought he was mad, yes. Yeah. And people still say that this was, in fact, the movie A Dangerous Method about Jung's relationship with Freud and Sabina Spielrein, at the end of the movie, the some text comes on the screen and it said that, you know, afterwards Jung had a nervous breakdown. Yeah, yes, yes. What, what do you say to that? What do you say to people that, that claim that Jung had a nervous breakdown and a psychotic no, he, episode? No, he didn't. He continues to work during this time. Yeah. He was living with his family. He, he was not psychotic, but he was very moved. Anyone who is in love and who, ha and who has this struggle inside, uh, forbidden love, for instance, mm -hmm. everybody knows what he is, was living. We know it for our experience. Yeah. And you yeah. say, you end the book by saying, to see Jung with his conflicts in the midst of his difficulties, pains, contradictions, and defenses does not diminish him. To the contrary, it adds still more humanity to his image. Yes. When I finished uh, to read the Red Book and I finished my book, uh, I had the feeling that I had met Jung, that now I know mm, Jung. Yeah. That's <laughs> I, wonderful. I felt my, myself closer to him. Mm. And I really would like to know what he would think about it. <laughs> ah, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for all of the painstaking work you did in in explaining why you saw the Red Book the way that you did when you read it. And you outline it all in your book, The Love Drama of C.G. Jung, which has also been published in Spanish. And I have a link to that on the website. So please visit speakingofyoung.com for more information about this book. Again, it was published by Inner City Books in 2014. This is the translated copy. And um, is there anything um, you'd like to leave us with, Maria? Oh, I'd like to thank you very much. And I beg your pardon, because my English is not that good. Oh, it's beautiful. You speak I beautifully. Hope, I hope you can understand and the people can understand me. And I thank you very, very much for this opportunity. I really like it very much. Maria, thank you. I, I just can't thank you enough for reading this book. It's really touched me very deeply. And I'm so grateful to Daryl Sharp for putting it in my hand and encouraging me to find you and have you speak to us a little bit about it. Uh, I don't feel that even though we've been recording for about an hour, I don't think that we've done it justice. So I would encourage everybody to to find this book, pick up a copy of the book. It's available on Amazon. If they don't have it, Inner City Books always has all of their books in stock. And there'll be links on the website for it. And also, Maria, you had told me and you mentioned earlier that you've written a chapter for a book. Um, it's, I think, only 
published in Spanish. Yes. About yes. the relationship between Emma and Tony. So would you say a little bit about that in closing? Uh, yes. Uh, I was thinking, oh, everybody that read my book asked me, many people asked me, uh, how did them work with all the situation? Uh, how Emma lived it and how Tony lived it? And in this chapter, I tried to find some materials uh, from Emma and from Tony, from their writings. And it's very interesting because Tony wrote many things, but they are only in Germany. It's difficult to find, even in English, except mm -hmm. from the uh, structural forms of the feminine cycle, or something like this. It's a it's oh, more yes, right. text that is in Jung Institute in Zurich, there is. But there, she wrote many books, but difficult to find, only in German. And I try to find something with her and also uh, in Emma publications that I could connect with all the, the problems they three were living. And my conclusion was that, of course, both of them suffered a lot, but the theoretical aspect the analytical psychology helped them. I don't know if it mm. was a, a defense of them that that was the way they could lead with all those things, or if it was really um, something elaborated, because we know that, for instance, when Jung had uh, the heart problem, it was in 1944, uh, 30 years after the Red Book, yes, Emma forbidden uh, Tony, Tony to visit him. Yeah. Yes, 30 years after. Uh, Joseph H uh, Henderson, mm -hmm. Joseph Henderson wrote that they had a very cordial accord between them. They, they were very polite. They Tony and, Vo and Emma, they were together in some social situations and there were, were no tensions or some problem with them. Well, <laughs> we, know, we don't know actually how they lived with those things. Mm -hmm. Maybe more will be revealed. I think, so. I hope so. I hope so. Well, now with uh, Tony Wolf's diaries that will be published, and uh, Emma, we don't have su such material. Mm -hmm. We don't know that it will be published or no. Okay, well, thank you, Maria. Thank you, Laura. Oh, you're so welcome. My love and my gratitude once again to Maria for agreeing to be recorded for this podcast. Please visit the website speakingofjung.com for more information about the publications and the topics that were mentioned today. On the website, you'll also find all of the previous episodes of this podcast, which are available to listen to or to download for free. This podcast is also available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. With special thanks to Daryl Sharp, Liz Jefferson, and Peter Stortlakinen. 
and to everyone that I've ever loved. This is Laura London, and you've been listening to Speaking of Jung.